Hey guys and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, we have the brilliant Claire Dunn. Claire is an actor and a writer based between here and London. Um, you might have most recently seen her uh, in The Gate uh, in Look Back in Anger. Uh, I was also lucky enough to see her in Tribes at The Gate, which was um, a beautiful play. Well, moreover, her performance was just so stunning. But the whole thing was great. Um, directed by the brilliant Una Murphy. Um, she's worked with all the best in the business, from Druid to The Abbey to The, Limic ha- the Lyric Hammersmith uh, to The Young Vic to The Dumber Way. Warehouse, um, she's kind of done it all, um, and as well as that, as you're going to hear over the course of this episode, um, she's a lovely, lovely person who I didn't know that well before the chat, but um, one of those people that you just feel you know really quickly. Um, as well as that, um, Claire as a writer uh, has done some great work, uh, including Sure Look It, Fuck It, um, which has been done at Electric Picnic and Body and Soul. Um, hopefully there's going to be more to come from that uh, as we talk about a little bit in the episode. Uh, and as well as that, Claire uh, was awarded development funding for her screenplay, which is currently titled Owned, and we talk about that a little bit on the podcast because Element attached themselves to that project and um, it went through the hands of Sharon Horgan so many brilliant brilliant people um, Screen Ireland all this sort of stuff you're going to hear about it all uh, over the course of the episode um, so guys without further ado please enjoy the wonderful Claire Dunn playing personality bingo with Tom Moran Claire Dunn, ready to play Personality Bingo? I am super ready. All right, sweet. Well, uh, a quick explanation uh, of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock. I've got 60 balls in here and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on that sheet of paper. Would you do me a favour and read out the five? I have four, eight, uh, 34, 47 and 18. Nice. Uh, Would you do me another favour and pick a sixth number, something between one and 60 that's not already there? And scribble it down. Between one is uh, 14. 14. All right, scribble that down. 14. Sweet. Any reason? Um, there was a period there, like in the last few years, where 14 kept turning up and it was always either a great day or it was just a good omen. And I don't know why, it just came up like loads of times. Nice. And I just started to go, oh, it seems like when the number 14 is around, something good happens. Or like on the 14th of every month, it seemed to be always a really cool day, an unexpectedly nice day. Yeah. Not anything major, but just like a nice day. So yeah. I was like... I like 14. <laughs> it's a good reason. Are you one of these people, like, do you see kind of patterns where you're like, I probably shouldn't be seeing patterns here, but like, you look for them. Do you know what I mean? I can't help but I think it's because I read this book when I was 18 and it said something about um, synchronicity, meaning that you're onto something or you're like, you're in good flow, basically, or something. Mm. It's something to do with like, I guess, yeah, just that. Sorry, I, d- I have no other deeper answer than that. That is all I remember is like, synchronicity is a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it, works for me. <laughs> uh, and I should say that uh, if your synchronicity is, is, is all that it's revved up to be at this point, uh, the tables are turned, you get to ask me any question and okay. I'll answer totally honestly if all six years come out. It's never okay. happened before, I should say that, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see how <laughs> synchronicity this is going to be. Uh, right, let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. First out the gate, we have number 38. Do you have it? I do not. All right, no worries. Number 38, <laughs> the question is, uh, do you have any guilty pleasures? Guilty pleasures. Um, yeah, at the moment, it's just uh, that new oat milk that everyone's drinking. The barista one. The very specific grey, 
brand <laughs> like of Oatly, which I am driving people mad about. I'm like, it is better than anything you've ever tasted in a coffee. So, yeah, that's my guilty pleasure because it's about three quid a litre. And I probably use way too much of it and make lattes constantly. Yeah, so, yeah. we were talking off mic there, which is, without context just sounds odd. I guess it was odd. that you, We were both lactose intolerant growing up. Yeah. What like? <laughs> what was that like? Um, no, it was fine. I, I, I was much later on getting really badly lactose intolerant and intolerant to loads of stuff. And it was so funny because what happened was... Um, I think I was just... Oh, no, it was in my 20s. It was like, yeah. I was away with Druid and they... Everybody's like, you're starting to look very thin. And then when I came home, I really was like, oh, God, yeah. Like, I'm not keeping weight on my body. And I went for these uh, food allergy tests and just, it was, uh, you need to give up tea and toast and milk for a while. And I was like, all the things I love. And so ever since then, I I actually, it was great because then I had loads of energy after I got rid of all those things out of my diet. And then just started getting into eating really um, different options for that. And it was grand. That's so such a boring answer but yeah there you go <laughs> no it was a boring question like, no, but, I, but do you know I used to work in a health food shop yeah. and there was a little kid that was allergic to everything that used to come in and I used to feel so sorry for her because back then it was like the only thing she could get was like licorice as a sweet and nowadays they just have so many more options for little kids that are, that are sensitive now which I think is really cool yeah I mean <laughs> I, have a, I have a good friend and uh, it's funny I was in a band with him growing up and um, we'd still be mates like our band broke up in um, probably like 2012 oh. much to the detriment of the Irish music scene might I add absolutely um, but we uh, I realised I'm the only member of the band who's not vegan now which was a challenging moment for me I was like wow. well why the fuck am I such a scumbag like why why, why are all these these guys so much more like, I don't know environmentally and um, just morally conscious than me anyway uh, but yeah he's 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 also a celiac and um, he got diagnosed at say when he was like 13 or 14 but he was like really really small like pr- mm. like noticeably small and uh, it was because of that because he was he's highly sensitive to gluten and he yeah. was eating it for all these years and it properly stunted his growth to the point where he turns probably like five foot like two or three do you know what I mean yeah and yeah, uh, like yeah. the rest of the family would be you know they, they wouldn't be necessarily huge but they'd be more close to like the average height for example yeah 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 and it's really interesting how your body just I think it's because your body just goes get everything out of me <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't absorb anything then for a while because it's like just trying to fight this thing and yeah. um, so yeah but then once you're onto it you're onto it is that Tiernan we're talking about that's Tiernan yeah 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 <laughs> no ledge. not not your Tiernan my Tiernan oh, you don't your know this Tiernan, Tiernan. Yeah. Okay. well maybe you do but I highly doubt it okay. but you should he's brilliant <laughs> that's good it's been uh, okay alright here we go number nine do you have it no oh god I have eight that's no worries. so Number nine, in your industry, who is a person that you would love to work with? Oh, God. I mean, so many. I know. Um, who do I really want to work with? Actually, I've never had the chance to work with Enda Walsh. Mm. Um, I just want to, like, get the chance to be in a rehearsal room with him because of his energy and his personality. And we always have such great chats. Um, and I've never worked officially with Michael Murphy either. And we're really good friends. Mm. Um, so just as people that I want to work with in a room, they're definitely people. Uh, there's lots of girls I want to work with as well. Anna Shields, who I just saw. Me too. In the Fringe and I barely know her. Um, when I saw her do her show at the Fringe, I was like, oh my God, I want to be in a room with her. I want to improvise. I want to do comedy. I want to do 
something with that girl. Like she is just, I love her presence. I love her energy. I think we have we have some things in common that we could really fire around a room. And I was like, oh yeah. So I had a bit of a, a grow for her a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? When you mm. find like um kind of, I don't want to say like kindred spirits or anything yeah. like that. But when you find people and you can identify things that like, you love about them or things that you think that you know similar energies you might have with them and then mm. things are like well I could never do that and they do that so well or whatever yeah, it's yeah. a lovely thing yeah it can fit like like I don't know what you call it like Jenga or interlocking things where you know like they can fill in gaps that you couldn't or like there's some oppositional stuff that will really work but then there's some things where you can be like almost like twins and then that syncs everything together so yeah I just saw her as a person that I could totally buzz off on stage defo and uh, what about then, you know, for you as a writer and like a screenwriter and stuff like that, mm-hmm. do you, when you're writing, do you think, like, do you, does it does it help you to think of specific people? Like if you're writing a character, does it help you to think of a specific actor? Even if like down the line, that's not who's going to play it, but just even to place things. Yeah, it can really help because sometimes I think when you're trying to get your authentic kind of dialogue flowing sort of thing and the first year or two that you're doing that is like it can be quite difficult because if you're if you're new to writing you know like we're all like a lot of actors are kind of they know what a good line feels like mm-hmm. that's that's our one link into the writing thing is that you'll know what resonates for you and um, and I sometimes yeah I would use people in my head as touchstones like I definitely had a certain actor in mind for um one of my characters in uh, the screenplay that I wrote with Element and um it actually might never be him in the end but when I think of him and his authentic sort of character and what he gives off that's the spirit of the character that I'm trying to write so it kind of just lends itself to what I'm writing yeah so mm. I'd say I'd say yeah using actors as touchstones really is really really helpful yeah yeah how does how does that I don't want to go too much into this sort of stuff but like mm. how does the, like the element thing come out because that's obviously but congratulations that's so cool to have like even that Sh- sure enough, we haven't even made it yet no, but it's um it's yeah it was that that came about very um interestingly like I I instinctively just wanted to write a a, a story and began my own journey with it a few years ago and was doing it for nothing, obviously. And then eventually was trying to apply for funding. And what happened was um, one of my acting agents asked me, who's your fantasy person that you would love to bring to see you in a show? And I was doing Midsummer Night's Dream and the lyric. And and I was joking. I was like, Sharon Horgan. And they were like, actually, she's in our agency. We can we can get an invite to her. And I was like, oh, grand. And what happened was a couple of weeks later, um, I got an email directly from her and she just said, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't make your show because I'm working in New York. And she was making divorce at the time. Mm. And I was just basically buzzing because Sharon Horgan emailed me. I mean, I literally was like day made, like whatever, it doesn't matter. And what happened was I had been working on a new new draft just by myself anyway with my script and um, to apply for the IFB Screenplay Development Fund all on my own and I had no kind of links there at all. I think I'd finally gotten a cup of coffee with Rory Gilmartin who was still there at the time. So what happened was, this is going to be really long-winded now, hmm. well, basically I had her email address and I was sitting there one night like in rehearsals then in my summer night stream and I just remember going like, well, Sharon has a company and they're developing scripts and stuff. I mean... 
could just send her my script and say like can could you add this to your pile of unsolicited scripts and I'm getting I'm trying to get some funding for it but you're like no no hassle like it was really like if I can just submit it so I sent off this email and so I sent it off at like say 11 o'clock at night what I woke up to in the morning is like the dream email that you would get as a first time writer mm. of a screenplay like it literally was an email from Sharon at first going hey Claire well as you know I'm kind of working on the set here with um with the, the, the divorce series and I'm up to my eyes but um I'll try and get to it in a few months time or get somebody in the office to look at it and I was like oh it looks like there's a second email underneath it I was like that's weird and I scrolled down because I was like that, what's my email doing and I scrolled down it said forget my last email I clicked on it I started reading and I didn't stop until the end and I was like I think I'm going to frame this. I think we're going to frame this email. <laughs> and she said, when can you talk? And then so she rang me from her like car in New York and there was a difference in time change or whatever. And she was just like, what's going on with this? And is there anyone interested? And it was really like, so she got on to Rory and the, the scream. I think she rang Rory and I have been was just checking like, I hope Claire's in with a chance to get that funding because it's a really good script. And I think we'd be really interested in helping it go along. And so and Rory was like, actually, good news. She was already getting it anyway. So that was the beginning of me becoming a, a writer. And then so I worked on it that year for a good five or six months. And then um so I moved back. That's when I started like being a lot more in Dublin because it's a really Dublin based story. I came back. I rented an office. Liam Ryan gave me a lovely cheap office in the Dublin Theatre Festival office that summer. I was just I, I literally was living the dream because I had just a few grand to pay the rent and get an office and just pay for food and coffee. And I literally did so many research meetings and storyboards and learned how to write and just like kept writing, 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 writing and and trying to hear the characters in my head and all that kind of like all of that stuff that you want as a writer, which is time and freedom and just a bit of money to survive. You don't need that much like. And then uh, basically then in the autumn, she um the director I was working with at the time called Phyllida Lloyd um, in a theatre show. She said, oh, I heard you're still writing that script and all. Can I read that and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, but I was never thinking of asking her to direct because she's like quite a big deal and does a lot of big theatre and West End stuff and also has directed like major films like Mamma Mia and The Iron Lady. Nothing like small. Right. And so I never was going to, I was thinking I was going to get like uh, a cool like indie director in Ireland to do it or something, whatever. And then what happened was very funny because she just texted me one day just going I want to direct your film and I was like right so I told Sharon that and then Sharon was like well that's really good she was like well because we really want to move forward with this now you've submitted your finished draft like it was all finished with the development and she just goes who's your dream company to work with and I was like and the guys that made Room Element I was like they're amazing like and I just love the way they work and uh, within a few days the script had gotten to Ed Guiney and um, he rang Sharon and then I was at their Christmas party in London. Me, Philida, Sharon were sitting across from Ed and then who had gone to join and work element? Rory Gilmartin. So Rory walks over to the table and he'd left Irish Film Board and then literally he was like, it was like he brought my project through the Irish Film Board and then he became the person that was on it in element. So the synchronicity, as I said, right. was very good and it was also not very forced. Like it all sort of happened in a very, there was a bit of me being opportunistic and sending Sharon a script. But that was after me working on my own on a script. 
for a year and a half and putting mm-hmm. my own money into something like that wasn't like me being like forceful or in, in you know the way some people kind of just hustle but they might not they might not actually have stuff to back it up like I was afraid of ever sending anything and then that opportunity came and it was just one moment I went actually I have this screenplay so I'm going to send it so now I look back and, and I go that was that was one of those good moments of opportunism rather than forcing anything I thought that was quite cool and interesting so yeah so that's how I got in with Element that's, a, that's, a, that's <laughs> an amazing story and since then yeah so since then it's just been a year of more development stuff with the help of them and script editors and support and now we're going into the phase of like casting and go, going into pre-production and stuff and um, it's yeah so we're hoping to shoot in April and May next year that's the plan it's amazing. There's the long, long story. Is yeah. that like a really, really long answer? I'm so sorry, everyone that's listening. But no, but it's a really, it's really worthwhile because it's yeah, like, I mean, yeah. that, that's huge. And I think what's, what's, uh, it's so funny that you brought that, that Sharon was such a part <coughs> of that because, uh, yeah. she's not someone that I know, but it was just before you came in, myself and Paddy were talking about her because, um, I was just asking somebody seen Catastrophe because I think we were saying oh. Alison Spittle, who does a podcast here, had yeah. her, had, did a live episode with Sharon recently and oh, I was yeah. just saying how I just downloaded it this morning, I need to finish it because, um, because I I think uh, I don't know if you ever do this sometimes I like I don't know why I do this but I, I like think of different people whose careers I really like yeah. admire and like hers is probably top of the list in terms yeah. of like is in catastrophe for me because I, I, I do sc- I screenwrite as well that's mm. kind of like my I see on par a passion with, with acting and like um, catastrophe as a as a as a thing is just like mind-blowing to me tell me about it like, like so honest oh my god <laughs> so. it's just it's just phenomenal and so funny and so like is in the end of the last season like I'm just so excited for so like yeah but her as, her as a as a as a person there's just I don't know there even if you hear her interviewed like there's just something so compelling and like there's a kindness about her but like a real straightness or honesty about her like she just seems like a gem she's so grounded I remember meeting her um at one point in the office um in her place in in London and I remember being struck by how um just calm she is and very like like just not um she wouldn't be pushing things and in fact she's very and when I spoke to her a few weeks ago I met her recently and uh she was checking in on how I am as the writer because she knows what it takes to write something mm-hmm. and she was just kind of going like how are you feeling like it's been through so many drafts now and where are you at and she's very protective of that very first draft she ever read and she still looks back to it and says like as long as we retain that like lovely gutsy place that that came for in your heart and your instinct and that you feel okay then like yeah we just keep going that way but like so she's never she's not a pushy producery kind of person she's not trying to you know what I mean? Like, t- if anything, she's trying to help you find your voice and help it blossom mm. and just bring it up and bring it forward. So she's just so generous. Like, I just think because um, she's a person that has built up such a body of work and um, made it all happen herself, but not in, in, in a real, um, <clears throat> like, I don't know, harsh way, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. that she just knows... She just knows too well the ins and outs of what it is. And she also knows that like it's a daily thing, like like when you're on a set or you're in an editing room or you're writing in your office, whatever it is, it's your daily creative life like. And she re- I think she just gets that. Mm. She gets that we're all in it, not just for the end goal 
or like the perfect edited episode is that like every single bit along the journey matters mm-hmm. and I think because she's that wise that you feel that offer when you're working with her mm. and you totally soak it up like a sponge so right. yeah and so what's your relationship <coughs> to writing at the moment at the moment it's funny I feel like I'm in a bit of a break because well I did a lot of more research stuff um, in the last few months because my film is a little bit zeitgeisty so I found myself talking to a lot of <laughs> lawyers actually for some reason and going to lots of stuff like I feel like my yeah like so even though sometimes I might not be writing I'll, I'll be doing something in in conjunction with mm-hmm. it all the time and um, like even last week I did um I did a week of a self-building timber frame kind of house uh, thing <laughs> in Centre of Alternative Technology with the director of my film Philida and it's because the film is about somebody building their own house mm. so we went and Literally, <laughs> we're learning how to physically build in this amazing place in Wales. And so even though I wasn't writing, I count that as like that's part of what I'm doing. Like that's part of my research is part of what I'm learning about the whole uh, story that I'm trying to write. And um, so, yeah, so my relationship to writing isn't like that I have a deadline right now. Mm-hmm. It's that I'm sort of in this in-betweeny phase. I know I'm about to probably do another draft on a show that I'm going to find out soon if I'm definitely funded for it, which is Sure Look at Fuck It, this thing that I got in development with This Is Pop Baby. And um, so I did write another draft of that in July and I'll probably have to write another draft before Christmas. So yeah, I have a few things that are sort of like stewing there. But actually, at the moment, I feel like I'm opening myself up to other ideas. So I have this the, my relationship to, to new writing right now is a file on my uh, computer called Bullshit and Brainstorms. It's just a few pages of me just thinking up ideas and, and seeing if anything's coming to me. But I'm not forcing it because I've got a kind of got enough going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of want to just definitely make sure my film gets made first. That's, that's my main thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I sang a few of my own songs recently in The Fringe and that was like another little mini goal. So I was like, well, that's... Another thing to do as well. I don't know. Okay, I didn't know you do that. So let me ask you this. <laughs> what's like, what's your relationship then to your own creativity? Maybe that's a better question. Just in the sense of, <clears throat> so you obviously do a lot of different things and have a lot of different interests in that sense. Yeah, but I haven't produced anything. Like I haven't like gone out and actually recorded anything. Or You know, I just, I think I have this thing where I just like making stuff. Like I don't, like it's so weird. Like and the happiest I ever am is with a bunch of people in a room making something together. It's like, which isn't even, the experience of writing a film though, right? Well, it's not. Like there's a lot of, like there's obviously a lot of things that you do along the way, like research stuff and meetings and stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff on your own. So I kind of miss the more collaborative work. Yeah. And so that's why I loved when I was doing Sure Look at Fuck It. I wrote that a lot just to kind of, um, that had a better, that, that was an easier aim because I knew I was going to be saying it all to an audience. Mm-hmm. So it was literally about making people laugh and have the crack and like entertain so that was a bit easier to write but I I do sort of miss the collaborative stuff like I want to get more into like writing with other people and Mm. and just doing more like comedy and light stuff and my relationship to creativity is basically like um if I can do things that I like like singing (laughs) yeah acting rehearsing something with a cool bunch of people um making a short film whatever it is if I can do that and somehow live off it I'm happy yeah. I'm really really happy <laughs> I wish I wish I had a better answer for that's you that's a great answer I know right let's give it a spin alright here we go number 18 do you have it 
Oh my god, I do. You do. Nice one. Yes. All right, sweet. Um number 18. Okay, uh, are there any things you do to stay healthy day to day? I have like some little prompts written down if that's helpful for you, like meditation, mindfulness, exercise, therapy, anything like that that you Yeah, I mean, exercise is a big one for me. I well, it's not big big. It's just that even if I only do like 15 minutes of some sort of like YouTube yoga, it's just something mm-hmm. To get me into my body usually is helpful. Yeah. And then recently I've just been introduced to Pilates and I'm like, I'm going to get on that because that's quite, uh, that is actually quite mindful. Like you have to be really present to do it really well. And I like that idea. Um, I sort of miss dancing. I used to do a lot of dancing when I was younger, more for fun. I, like I did like a module in it, but I didn't really pursue it but I, I ended up getting quite skilled at tap dancing at one point which was hilarious and <laughs> then chucked them out the window but I sort of love um, and I lo- I have a weird addiction to like running but it's not like it's f- for the pleasure of running like I'm a crap runner like I love just getting out down the fresh air and just feeling the feeling like I went for a run yesterday and it wasn't even to get fit like it was just like oh great I can run around Marty Park lovely like it, it's like I just love yeah and I love like hill walking or being out like in like I'm such a hippie like but I do love going for long walks and stuff Um, yeah and then for every day so meditation yeah I mean sometimes I'm good at it sometimes I'm crap at it like I was trying to do meditation actually last night and I felt like oh my mind was just definitely not able to relax but apparently the thing is it's just to let thoughts happen or something and then and then they they eventually stop but I don't know I don't know if I'm that good at it. I was good at it a few years ago. Yeah. Um, it comes and goes. Do you have like, um, do you have, are you real ritualistic in terms of your writing? Like, do you have certain things that need to be in place? Mm, certain things. Um, basically, I love when I'm in a place of like, I actually have this thing of like, I know it's in city, but like when I'm really nice to myself, I write better. <laughs> so sometimes I would do a weird thing. Like if I'm not feeling the buzz when I first wake up, I will go and eat like cake and coffee for breakfast and like just be really stupid and and, like do something really childish or like just go off to Dunleary or something and walk the pier and get an ice cream and then sit down to write because I feel like I need to fill myself with something that's like a nice experience and then begin because I think like like I don't know I don't I don't like you know the, I, I know sometimes you can write because you're emotional about something as well and that's fine as well and then if you're angry about something or passionate about something or blah 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 but sometimes at me I just have to go for a walk and sit down real calm and just let thoughts flow until something starts coming sometimes it's just I don't write for a while and I just walk around and then things come to me and I jot things into my notes on my iPhone uh-huh. and like that's a lot like a lot of my spoken word stuff like just decent rhymes or weird playing on words or weird phrases, they come to me when I'm just walking around, like doing nothing or just walking to meet someone or chatting to someone or I'll think of something and I'll just note it in my iPhone. And that is writing, like as far as I'm concerned, I'm like, that's a good idea. I'll just note that down. It'll fit in somewhere. And you'd be surprised at the amount of stuff that you think is random will sync up somehow in inside of something like. And so, yeah, I count all of that. Yeah, it's a weird, th- like, even what you were saying about the, the exercise thing, like, that's something, because I like to run as well. Mm. And, uh, like, when if I'm buzzing around the place, because it's one of the things I think I should probably do less, but I really enjoy, for example, listening to podcasts, like other people's podcasts. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. huge thing for me. But sometimes I worry about the fact that, like, if I'm walking anywhere or if I'm doing the dishes or if I'm 
pretty much doing anything where I'm not with other people. I'll pop my headphones in yeah. and I'll go into that world. And sometimes I just worry that I'm not in my own, I'm not in my own weird subconscious thoughts enough because I'm I'm thinking about these other oh, conversations. Yeah. So like when I'm running, that's the one time when I force myself. I'll put in, I'll put in like music even mm, like, but mm. but um, but just not to have like other people's conversations rustling around in your head. Yeah, and it's yeah. amazing what can what what will pop up in oh, those totally, times. Totally, and it can be just one thing, or it can be like a whole flow of ideas that are linking up together and you're like oh and then like I have to stop running and then type them all into my phone like mm. real quick or I'll, I'll do a quick voice memo the funniest thing is when I'm out cyc- I've I've been out cycling and heard a song in my head and I've had to pull over and just sing it into my voice memo on the side of the street I've done that well wow. I've literally I've been in the shower and a song has dropped into my head or the phrase of a song I remember when I got the one I caught a song in my head when I was out I was out running and I was listening to loads of stuff like music. Uh, I was in London. I was doing a job in Lyric Hammersmith and I was out for a run before the show and I ran in to have a shower in the in the you know dressing room and I was in the shower and I just heard this phrase and so and I had to hop out of the shower naked and find my phone <laughs> like nobody was in there. I was in. I was like. You know, and I never, and I remember it was a bit that I used then in Sherlock and Fuck It. Really? Like, and it, like that, well, I didn't know what that was ever going to be. And what was the time gap in between? So I must have thought, when was it in Midsummer's? That was like, that was like autumn 2016. And then when did I do Sherlock and Fuck It finally in public? Probably 2017 in Electric Picnic or something or in Body and Soul. But right. I... It was only yeah. a, like you know what I mean, but I'm saying like these things they th- they seem random and then they can be really useful for something to ins- insert in a thing that you're doing, and I so lately I've just like not worried about where things are gonna go and if you have material just if you have material that you're writing and that you actually just know is decent on some level you don't know what it's for just just keep it like just have a little folder on your computer and just keep it and then you'll find it and even just like just label it something of like what the context of it is or what the topic might be and then you'll find something like two years down the line you'll go oh my god I have the perfect thing for that or that's actually just something somebody says in a scene like it's really weird like it all can just join up together so that's what I think is a good piece of advice oh you know what you were saying about the mindfulness thing or something or everyday thing Mm. I just realised that I am a massive fan of um, Blind Boy and recently he's been doing a load of stuff on the CBT thing Yeah. and I would say that since I was like instinctively since I was a teenager I think I've always been doing a bit of CBT I just didn't realise that was my writing and then somebody told me about the uh, what is it the artist's way or something where you write morning pages yeah for a while, for a long time, I did a religious three pages every morning where I just write a flow of thought. And I, I used to find that that really helped me clear my head for the day mm. and have a kind of head, a clear head space. Sorry, just to answer the original question that you started with. No, that's all right. You know, it, but uh, yeah, so massive fan of that, which is like your own kind of version of CBT, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, like, um, and have you ever done like the, tra- the traditional like CBT, like talk yeah, therapy? Yeah, I, I only went to somebody for the first time for that. I think it was like last year because there, yeah, like I was, I was going through a stage of like uh, somebody had died, and I was just going through a really grief-stricken stage, and I was like, maybe I just need help with my thoughts, like just to kind of get there. And I'd looked it up, and I went and tried it, and it was, it was great. It's very practical. It's very, um, sorry, it's like it's a really, yeah, it's really practical, helpful tool. And then recently, when I was listening to Blind Boy, I was like, oh yeah, like that's 
yeah, he he kind of sums it up very well in the last three episodes he did. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's really it's really helpful because it just helps you rationalize and realize the difference between thoughts uh, that are kind of toxic and thoughts that are actually positive mm-hmm. and like feelings that are um, not your reality and then feelings that are just because you're human or something like that. Yeah. He, he just divides it up very simply. And I think that's all very empowering for people because some people can't afford therapy and it's not it's not <laughs> very widely available on a free basis. Um, and I think like anything like that, that's very empowering for the individual is really important. Yeah. I've gone off on one there. There no, you go. That's all right. Do you know what's really interesting for me recently? I like in the last mm, month or six weeks, I've mm. gone back playing football like uh, like competitively with like a, a team, mm. you know, like um, on a Saturday, which is something I would have done growing up. And then I went to drama school and it wasn't really an option. And then, you know, been working yeah. for the last since drama school like you know whatever so that's three years so it's been about like six seven years since I played like competitive football and at the moment I have time to go back and play so I've just started going back and playing with a bunch of lads which is which is yeah. great and it's really fun but at the same time it's brought back this weird anxiety within me because when mm. I used to play with lads like we had a particularly aggressive team like they were just they were a bunch of 17 18 year old lads and it all loads of hormones testosterone. they'd be shouting at each other they'd be calling each other terrible yeah. names they'd be abusing each other like you know and I, w- I was never I was I was probably I would certainly be more confident than I, I am now than I was then but it's brought back like that I still have a bit of um I don't know, even like coming up to a game, I'll get like nervous about it because oh, of that. Yeah. It's fascinating how, and I was just thinking about, um, about how, like I, I, and I would be a, a good amateur footballer. I would not be anywhere near good enough to play professional football, mm-hmm. but a good, and I, I have none of them feelings though in terms of like uh, acting or writing really. You know, I won't mm-hmm. really get, I'll get nervous before an audition, sure, performance, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I don't get like, I don't get like anxious or I'm not afraid of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah. I enjoy it and I love the challenge of it and I love mm. I love all that. So it was just it was really interesting just getting brought back into that like um that version of yourself from like seven years ago. I think what maybe it was because one of the episodes I was listening to Blind Boys, it's a little bit I'm a little bit behind, but mm. he was talking about um how like your your various states of like, you know, your 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 child state and your oh, adults. Yeah. It was really interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know, it just it, it, it looped in really really nicely. It's just when funny. yeah, when you're either like, it was that that was the one where he talks about you're either playing your child self, one of your parents, parents or yeah. you're playing your actual adult self, which yeah. is the one you're aiming for. Uh, that was a good way as well of summing it up. Yeah, he's just genius at summing it all up very well because he's somebody that has actually studied psychotherapy and stuff like that. So it's great to just that's why podcasts are so helpful, I think, as well for people. It's just a great resource. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good right. So keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. Number fifty-three. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. Oh God. Number uh, 53. Okay, um, in terms of like film, theatre, music, comedy, concerts, art galleries, anything you want, what's the greatest piece of like art that you've witnessed? Whoa, that is like a really big question. It is. The, wow. I don't know if I can bloody do this. Let me think. Moments are totally cool. Like any things that are mm. popping to... Well... I don't know, like, can it count as like when you just see somebody that really inspires you in a moment when you were younger? Because basically I'm thinking of the time that I was in drama school. For some reason this is coming to me. I was saying to everybody, I'm going to go see this guy, uh, Tim Minchin. (laughs) 
he's on in you know it was when I was studying in Cardiff and people were like oh no it's Monday and I don't go and I was like guys like you should check my, like he's really good like you should just look at some of his YouTube videos and so I went to see him and the venue held about 400 seats I said it only had about 40 people in it yeah and he um, did an amazing show and he jumped off the stage and he gave me a big hug. Like we were all standing and clapping at the end. But he gave me, he chose me to give me a hug. And I was like, come to Dublin. And all this like in his ear. And he was like, what? <laughs> Please come to Dublin. Anyway, um, so I was like, wow, I love that guy. And then what happened to him in the following like eight or nine years was unreal. And I remember thinking... Wow, like I I had an instinct that that guy was really talented and I just loved watching him and blah, blah, blah and just was watching him on a kind of fringe theatre level. And then just to watch what he did with his music and comedy and how he like comments on things about politics and then ended up writing the Matilda musical and then he's written another musical since and now he's doing live shows, but he's got a massive influence now in the world. And he just, I don't know, just somebody like that just really inspires me because they're kind of unlimited in their ideas of what they can do. I think he's a great artist. In terms of great pieces of art, though, I mean, I don't know. There's just too many to to, to name. But that, um, yeah, it is, but it is really interesting when you think about someone like Tim Minchin because, mm. you know, as you said, we all know him as like kind of stratospheric. Like, I think he does stadiums now probably you know what I mean oh yeah he's written yeah. all these mute, like he's kind of he, like he's a superstar he, like yeah. in terms of comedy and uh, writing I know he's so much more than that but he's he's a literal superstar and you do when you don't have that context like he obviously has the context of his own life but we don't have that context of 40 people and a shitty night in Cardiff do you know what I mean yeah like and yeah. it's so it's so interesting to when you think because I mean I don't know how old Tim Minchin is but I imagine he didn't really break in that way till his mid 30s yeah yeah You'd I, have to I think, don't know you know, I don't know but yeah it's yeah, it's fascinating because you can see it's somebody who built up a lot of skills in themselves and like was playing piano from a young age probably, but his ability to just play with all like and also that it's all really fun and open. I don't know. I just found it very inspiring. But one of the most um well, one of the most effective um Okay, so I have this weird thing, like if you're talking in terms of like pieces of art that really affect me or like I have this weird thing where stand-up comedians just have a huge effect. Like, I could listen to stand-up comedy forever. Like, absolutely, in the background of my life, I could put on stand-up comedy. I haven't done it now in a few weeks. I've been trying to purge myself for a while so I can go back in. Yeah. And recently, I, I like, I watched Chris Rock's most recent, th- recent thing on Netflix and then Nanette in the same few days. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so satisfied. I just love the way some stand-up comedians do this thing where they have this radical honesty. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so cool. It's so refreshing because you just need a bit of that in today's world, especially when there's just so much kind of, like there's just so much you can look at online or there's all like news constantly or whatever. And uh, politicians, the way they go on and there's like the sense of feeling that there's nobody that's um, sincere like it's just like so I just love people that get to be really radically honest and and then to top off that with another answer to the best piece of art I've, I've, I've read recently was Lynn Rowan's book I just finished that a few days ago and it was like yeah she is just the bomb okay what's it called she is uh, People Like Me okay it's a good yeah. name yeah she's really really she's an amazing woman and I yeah 
Do you anyone know, that's listening read that book <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned stand up comedy because I think I, I don't know if I had a dream about this or was I was thinking of it really late last night but I was and I was thinking about it in the context of the podcast I was like what I don't think this would actually be a good question but maybe I can ask you now uh, like if you could because again talking about Tim Minchin this actually rounds off nicely and I because I love stand up comedy as well mm. and I love a lot of the podcasts I listen to are done by comedians I think yeah. because of that radical honesty like I'm like oh, yeah. I listen to that all day that is fascinating to me Um and they just seem to all come to play ball you know what I mean like they're, they yeah. don't have anything to hide which I love um, and um, yeah so I was thinking about if you could here, here's a non on the sheet question for you if you could be a stand up comedian mm-hmm. and be really good be like Chris Rock level good uh-huh. uh, without all the struggle that like Chris Rock or Tim Minch and all these guys could you forget about that like all these guys probably I don't know like but a, a lot of the ones that I would listen to certainly like they talk about like you need to do your 10 years you know there's that whole 10,000 oh, yeah. hours theory but like in, in comedy I think it's like kind of 10 years to till you get really good and you would kind of see that like a lot of the comedians like even like they're, they're mainly in their like 30s, 40s, mm, 50s mm, you know what mm. I mean Um, even some like Ashling B who's amazing but she was probably like chugging away for like seven, eight, mm. nine years before yeah, she really yeah. broke it. Now she's a superstar yeah. and she's amazing and it's so deserved. But like, so if you could do that and, and like hit that level with, with, with none of the work or if you could uh, like kind of keep chugging away in the way you were, like with all the different stuff with the songs, with the mm, poetry, mm. with the, like what would, what would you do? Like, cause does, cause I was just thinking for me, stand up, like it actually would tick I've done some stand up and it ticks a lot of the boxes. Like it's really good. The only thing I didn't like about it and I think this is the difference between being like me doing open mics versus Chris Rock, who's yeah. a superstar. Is like Chris Rock doesn't have to be funny all the time. If he wants yeah. to, if he wants to say something, he can say it. Whereas if you're doing open mics, you have like five minutes to be funny. You kind of have to be funny every ten seconds. Yeah. Or else you're you're not. You feel like you're not doing it right, and now maybe that's a sign that like I wasn't very good at. It. I'm not sure, but it's it's an interesting thing. Where have you ever tried it, or like where where do you sit with it? What's the question you want to see if I, I don't know. actually I think, do I think stand I, up? I abandoned or... the question halfway through. <laughs> like, is it something that you have done or would do? I think I'd be. I've people have asked me to consider trying it, and I like I just like I was like when when I did Sherlock sure Fuck, I went. I think I have found a vehicle to be funny in. And I think like maybe that's going to be my way in, but I haven't had the courage to stand there and just do some stand-up comedy because I'm not sure I'm a person that can stand there and just make observations and be funny. Maybe I could be, but the but the reason I'm I I know that about myself is because my own sister Sarah Dunn is the funniest person ever telling a story, just telling you a straight story yeah. and making observations about stuff, and is so radically honest that I've gone. But she, like I've seen the glory of somebody being naturally just she, I could put her on a stage if she was willing and and like could like I would just stick her on a stage because I, like like I've done I'm doing all the other things I'm doing the acting and the singing and the spoken word and I'm writing screenplays and doing that this that and the other I think it would be by accident that I would end up in a stand up comedian moment mm. like it would be by accident I'd be being interviewed and then something might come out but I don't think and as you can tell by this I haven't even said I'm that funny so like it's not na- it's not natural to me but yet I find it the most satisfying art form to watch and behold so maybe it's just something that I will someday reach for I don't know if I could do it tomorrow I really don't know I didn't see Sherlock and Fuck It. Is it a one a one woman show? Kind of. My cousin does some guitar in it with me, and cool. we kind of do a bit of improv back and forth. And I have I found that there was moments I've only done a work in progress with it, but um, 
yeah, I had a lot of moments that went askew. <laughs> and it was then I realised, yeah, I'm good at improvising within a structure. I don't know if I could <laughs> just start <laughs> banging out stuff. Yeah, in ter- like yeah. in terms of having done a little bit of it, and it, it isn't much, I'd say, like between 10 and 15 gigs, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I, 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 I think it is the, one of the best things that I ever did, just yeah. for general... For general performance, for oh, writing, you inspire me for, now. You know, you should, you should. <laughs> like, I really think you should. Because, I, I, first of all, I bet my house you'd be brilliant on it. You know Thanks. what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know the house. That's why I bet it. But like, <laughs> y- you know, you'd be brilliant, of course. But um, but it's so good, and it's and it's and it's terrifying, which is nearly a good enough yeah. reason to do it in and of itself. Yeah. Why not go into the fire of fear and just do yeah. it? <laughs> like the first, the first one is 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 terrible because you and it's one of them art forms as well where you can't really in fact no you can't get feedback on it it's not like you could send Chris Rock your joke and say is that funny like it wouldn't work because you have to to, you know the way you can send a screenplay to Sharon Horgan and she could be like wow that was so compelling I didn't put it down you can't do that with jokes the only way to do that is get up in front of someone or really a crowd of people Uh and tell them and like you will find out it very quickly. It is instant. Quickly. Like, it's instant. just, you know, whether they're laughing or not. I know. And that's know. why, that's why, like, there's one gig in particular that I did and it went so well. Like, so, so well. And just the buzz of it was oh, unbelievable. Wow. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, because I, I know, like, in terms of what, because me and you are similar in a sense of, like, writers and actors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what comedians are as well except they're also like the editor and the director and because like, they literally are every yeah. night listening to it being like oh that didn't really work I'll take it out yeah. but, you know, it's, it's, it's a holistic art form in itself and the one person it's just them yeah. and the audience like and it's really and yet the more I watch some of them I realise it's like the less effort as such that they're making to laugh it's almost like some of them just stand there and they just say things a certain way observing life and it's actually through who they are and them being in the moment observing what's going on in a very ironic or funny way. It's just, I don't know, that's what makes them funny. And you go, wow, I wish I could do that because that actually they make it look simple. But I reckon it's taken them like five pages to get that one observation or, or you know, whatever it is, phrase going. Yeah. And you go, wow, like Dylan Warren, come on. The yeah. guy is like the, the, the phrases he comes up with that observe life. And I was like, there's no no chance he gets that immediately. No, <laughs> like, no. It's you like, you his, work his towards that. It's poetry. It's actual poetry. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's one of the things that I really love about Twitter at the moment. I'm a big Twitter buzz. I love oh, it, and, and I love I love just that like crafting, like crafting the 280 characters and like literally trying to to chip away at it like I yeah. y- y- I have that with them um, because mine you were talking about your note section earlier I have that I'm like if someone found my note section on my iPhone they would arrest me do you know oh, what I mean me too like just or Absolutely. put me in an in a <laughs> insane asylum and rightly so whereas like my, my Twitter is intre- like I have like um I, like the, the draft section of it like, I don't leave nothing in there for long but I always like put it in there for like you know a few minutes and come back to me like can I shave a little bit more off this I find it so yeah. it's like it's like you know it's like your, your first draft versus your Eight draft, you know what I mean? You're yeah, just like yeah. chipping away at anything that's like a little bit boring, a little bit not working. It's so, uh, so fun. So, do you use Twitter to try and say funny things on it, or just uh, like? Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, I, I, but I, I think I use Twitter as like, um, like recently I was away interrailing. Um, just finished a gig and literally booked a last minute, like finished a gig on a Sunday 
booked a ticket on a Monday and left on a Tuesday kind of thing nice. and did some interrailing because it was something I always wanted to do and I was like if I don't do it now I'm not going to do it mm. and, I, and I really want it so um, and I kind of was like you know tweeting that but it's re- it was you know it was interesting what you were saying about um, what you admire in comedians is that like um, ability to be honest and stuff because mm-hmm. like of late uh, I've kind of gotten into a little um, into a little like style of tweeting I, I don't want to talk about this with any like grandiose notions it's literally just me typing into my phone I must follow you now no, where, well, where is my no, phone? no but it's, in, it, it's just little small things but I really enjoy it and it's funny and yeah. put some, um, but they've started like getting more um, like traction and stuff which is interesting Great. but the reason that it is I re- well I think the reason that it is is because I'll just tweet the worst things that happen to me in a day like oh, as yeah, in yeah. you just just your little mini your little mini like failures yeah. that are kind of funny and you know I'm, I might heighten them a little bit but it's yeah. like people really get a kick out of that because like I think we shame ourselves we shame ourselves so much when yeah. stuff like that happens and I mean I think that's like where I like when I'm writing best that's where it's coming from it's always oh from, when you're just so honest yeah yeah you're just like no oh, I did this and I oh god I don't know actually my favourite thing in life is when I give up knowing or trying to figure it out like I lit like the last week or two has been so funny because I was just last week working with a bunch of new people and I learned how to use about I don't know 10 different fucking tools I'd never used on a building site and I was doing all this great stuff and you just have to get in there and work with people and talk with all sorts of different heads and um there was something about the relief of constantly not knowing what I'm doing mm-hmm. and having to in the moment go, okay that's how you saw okay cool I'm going to saw this wood as far as I know I know how to get to that line and then somebody showed me how to level something off and how to chip away at something. and you're only learning what's in the moment you can't do anything else yeah. and um, and I was reminded of that great Alan Watts thing where he's like he says this this is this cool philosopher that you can find on YouTube from like the 60s or 70s who never knew he was going to be recorded and then broadcast in the <laughs> 21st century but anyway he's very cool because he's one of those kind of guru people or he worked with lots of I don't know I think he must have done lots of stuff with like Eastern philosophy and yeah. He said the moment when you really admit that you don't know, mm-hmm. that's that's when you're free. Like, that's when you know, weirdly. It's like it's, like it's the opposite. Of, it's the yin-yang thing. It's like when you really don't, when you give up knowing everything, that's when you're free. You just go, I don't know. And that's when your head's open as well. And that's when you get ideas. Yeah. It's weird. Like, it's a weird thing. It's like you're an open space and so then something drops into it. So I can't I can't really explain that. It's not making much sense. But I think that's why um, we love stand-up comedians because they have this thing where they stand there or like you're saying with your Twitter thing is when people just go, I, I actually just don't know. I woke up this morning and I knew I had this deadline to have this idea in to these people or whatever it might be. And I just didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. So... I just had to walk, go for a walk and, you know, blah, 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 scratch my head. Or like the other day, I missed my flight by moments and um, because there was a big crash on, on the motorway before Gatwick mm-hmm. and I was stuck on a bus beside Gatwick looking at it mm-hmm. for an hour. And it was so frustrating. And I, what happened was I had to pay 100 quid to get on the next flight. And it was just like annoying. And I was like, obviously, like none of us make shitloads of money in this game. And 100 quid, you're like, oh, damn, but it's not the end of the world. I guess I'll get over it. I'll make it up somehow. 
Um, but that afternoon, then I was, you know, I went through security and da da da, and I went to go to Pret and get a coffee. And your one gave me a free coffee because the Pret staff are allowed to give away a free coffee a day or something, I think. But the amount of times I've gone to Gatwick, for some reason, Gatwick Pret staff, they love me. I don't know. <laughs> I must have a poor me face. I don't know what's going on. But they, like, she gave me a free coffee and it genuinely brightened up my day so much. And I tweeted, like, thanks, Pret, for my free coffee. I was like, because I actually had to pay 100 quid for a new flight. That Twitter, like, that tweet, I never tweet. Yeah. That tweet got, like, loads of likes and retweets. But, like, <laughs> anything that I go, like, tweeting something really specific about, like, somebody's work that I like or, you know, something that I've really thought through and da-da-da, doesn't get anything. And then when you're just saying something that's really humane and, like, oh, thanks for that coffee... Fucking loads of... <laughs> I'm telling you. Loads of likes. Yeah. So I completely agree with you. I just think there's something about that humane experience, that daily thing of like, oh, I had such a crap moment there and then this happened. Yeah. People like that. People do like that. Yeah. Yeah, but no, you're like, right, like, listen, like, yeah, like, the, the world is, the world is like, hard enough at the moment. So like, yeah, isn't, <laughs> but it, you know, if someone gives you a free coffee and Pret, yeah, fuck it, it's nice to actually, you know, just tweet Pret and be like, yeah, thanks for your staff for being sound. It actually did make yeah. a little yeah. microscopic difference. I say all this now and I'll probably give up Twitter like, next week now that I've said that or something yeah, stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, know. I, know. I just like it for, for just, I don't know, seeing other people do their thing and keeping up with what everyone Soon in Dublin, that's actually mainly what I do. Yeah, no, no, it's nice. I just look at it for articles, but um, yeah, there yeah. you go. Right, is that is that enough to? Yeah, that's loads. <laughs> loads. Right, here we go. Uh, number forty-four. Do you have it? No, I have forty-seven. No worries. Mm, okay. Number forty-four. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. For like anything, like just for life, like. yeah. Best piece of advice. It be career if you want, but life's great. Mm. The, the weird thing about them is they normally go hand in hand, you know? Yeah. Like good career advice is often good life advice and vice versa. I always loved that video that Patty, the video of Patty Smith that I saw a few years ago. And she said, build a good name. And I thought, what? <laughs> At first. And then she just talked about how being an artist or being any sort of person in this world is like, it's just your daily thing of keeping on going and that like not everyone will become um Lady Gaga you know <laughs> or you know but at the same time everybody deserves like whatever like getting successful isn't a sellout thing by the way either she's she's like making a whole thing of like you know there's no such thing as being a sellout just build your name and, and find your voice mm. and and look after yourself she said as well a real healthy thing of yeah. just <laughs> you know don't drink too much don't overdo things but like have fun and um, so I loved her thing of build a good name I'm trying to think of is there something that I always there was something that I had on a bloody post-it for ages and I'm trying to remember what it is if you want to take ah. a moment I got really good advice today yeah from a priest um, oh go on <laughs> yeah yeah it was good my my, uh, my granny passed away a month ago so the month's mind sorry mass, to hear that thank you um, the month's mind mass was this Sunday mm. so and this priest is the most amazing man 
like if I actually had a dream podcast guest, it would be him. He is incredible. His name mm. is Father Danjo. Okay, he's amazing. He wears like uh, he's like a Franciscan. He's a uh, Franciscan monk or a friar. I'm not sure, but he wears like the robes all the time, and he wears sandals and you know all the time, like all year yeah. round. He's literally the most incredible man. But he gave this great advice in the middle of the mass. Um, he said, uh, when I was in school, one of my teachers um, said this to me, and I've never forgot it. And he said, it's three things not to do in life. And he's like, don't get discouraged, don't get disappointed, mm. and don't get offended. And like. I don't know, whatever reason that just really resonated with me. Okay, you've now reminded me of the thing I'm going to say. There you go. It's Father Danjo for you. <laughs> That's amazing that he said that, though. Yeah, yeah I, I just thought it was, I, you know, there. I, I think, like, then I kind of remodeled it. Because I was thinking about it when I went home, I was like, that is fucking gorgeous. And I was like, you know, they're all okay feelings to feel in a moment. And then just check yourself and, like, let it go and be like, yeah, yeah like that. I was upset. About that for a sec, because that's it's natural to be disappointed about. Yeah, of course it is. But then just let it go. It's okay. Don't get discouraged. Absolutely. Don't get offended. It was just lovely. There's, there's been a real recent thing. There's a few people I've been talking to recently that become a little bit obsessed with this thing of um, reconciling yourself with your own mortality. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing to myself now because if they ever hear this, they'll piss themselves. They piss themselves laughing because literally, then we have had a running joke going for ages of just like, well, I don't know, you might die today, so you better like seize the moment. Yeah. And it's something about seizing the day and and like you know, it's basically reminding yourself. So that's probably why he was given such good advice, is because it's a, it's it's celebrating somebody's uh, life who's just passed. And um, the thing that comes back to me, which always comes back to me, which is a very simple thing that Anthony Hopkins said. Right. Be it now. Those three words. And I was like, that seems a bit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, actually, it's a really good thing to say to yourself because be is obviously like be. It means like be the center of your own world for like today. Now, like it's not that you are going to be saying thank you for an Oscar today or that you're on a film set today. You might just be unemployed. You might be just walking around and you might have nothing to do or you're having to do your normal job today. Um, but in that day, you can be the it, that you you can be you, like you can be the most authentic, best like person that you can be just today. And you might not even be feeling great, actually. And the most you can do is offer somebody a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. But there's something about that mantra of be it now, I think is really nice because for me, sometimes that just reminds me to um, just keep my head up and look, look around and appreciate what's in front of you. I know it sounds silly. No, I love but that. Like, I, I really liked that because because what he was saying, he was it was advice to actors as well. But I thought it was good for life because he was saying like actors are so hard on themselves, thinking they have to chase everything outside of themselves all the time. And a lot of people think that mm -hmm. about life. Um, and it's like not it's that like you bring things to you as well. It's in your power and in your moment to stand on your own two feet. And I liked that, that, that simple mantra. Be it now. Well, what I love about it is the it in particular, because mm. like it's just the ambigu ambiguity of it in the sense of yeah. like it can be what like whatever that is. But that, like I'm certainly like guilty of that sometimes I, I, I like, oh, well, I'll be that version of myself later. Yeah. Like that version of myself that I want to be. It's like I can't be that now or you feel like I can't mm. be that now or you mm. feel like that'll be too much work to be that now. So it's like I'll be that later. Mm. But it's like no, like if you're you, like, you know, that thing, like even if it's something simple, like I, I'm going to like be more rigorous about like doing my exercise every day or yeah. eating that bit better or making sure that I am like writing the um, 
amount that I need to be you know mm-hmm. and just to not be like put it off exactly but also realise that like like that it's not about an end goal uh-huh so be it now takes in the whole bloody thing of like it is literally about each day and mm-hmm. the journey. The journey is the treasure. That's another thing I saw written on a rock somewhere, which I thought was cool. The journey is the treasure. Mm. You're not just trying to like, like, especially like I always think of this, like, you know, when you see young men um, that are trying to carve their bodies into Adonis yep. and they're trying to bulk themselves up or take themselves out or they're doing all this stuff in the gym. And I don't know, like I just personally have noticed recently that I'm I, I see a lot of young lads that are really trying to get this going for themselves. And I'm like, well, some like some guys don't really grow into their body until they're in their late 20s or in their 30s, like they become much more. Like and I was like, wow! It seems like there's a lot of young guys that are being really hard on themselves about their mm-hmm. image. Like, and I know young women are as well. And I always think of that thing of like the be it now thing, or or the the like everybody thinks they're on their journey to their ideal body, which they might well be. But really, be nice to yourself on the way and realize that it's not going to happen in two seconds flat or a few weeks. Like, it's like just I don't know, just like. Just just be kind to yourself while you're doing that. Like it's really good to be healthy and go to the gym or whatever you want to do to make yourself get that body. But like don't put your don't break yourself on the way is what I'd say. Yeah, no, and it's funny. I think like and it's one of them things you do have to be careful when you're talking about it because like you know any any kind of body issues they they are more traditionally like linked with with women like yeah rightly yeah. or wrongly and I'm it, I, I I mean statistically I think it is correct but like there is a huge like as a, a, a young man who, who has a lot of young male friends and like I've really struggled with like mm-hmm. my body and my image and my eating and it's like it's a huge issue for guys and guys are so bad about talking about it and mm-hmm. other guys aren't very sensitive mm-hmm. to other guys' bodies like I don't know I could be wrong but I don't know any of my female friends who will like slag their female friends about being fat whereas like a lot of my male friends will do that you wow, know what I mean and I think that's really interesting yeah. so I think a lot of guys are are, are are shamed into it in a way and like and are as you said are just hardening themselves yeah, but yeah. when your external circumstances are also being hardened you that really sharpens your own yeah. eye to yourself you know yeah absolutely it's I couldn't agree more I, I just think like it's all about everybody looking after all the different bits of the pie in themselves like mm-hmm. they're physical they're emotional they're um, mental like all of that like um and there's a lot to be said for um, just giving yourself the basics sometimes, reminding yourself that actually I'm going to have eight hours sleep. Yeah. I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to have breakfast today. I'm not going to put myself under pressure to do an hour and a half workout before I even like because there's a lot of that. Like I have to tell myself that sometimes mm-hmm. I really do. And remind yourself that you're doing exercise because you like it. Like do do it because you love it, not just to make yourself become something. Mm-hmm. I just think like accept where you are now. Like it's grand. <laughs> You're it's all grand. good. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody actually loves when people are completely just who they are in that moment. I I don't think there's anyone like marking you out at ten. Like I just think we all think that's happening. That's not happening. <laughs> it's just not yeah. happening. Like don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that is a big thing to remember. Yeah, like because sometimes you do trick yourself into thinking that everyone's thinking about me. Everyone's thinking about me. Oh my god! Like one of my favorite T-shirts I've ever bought says "Nobody cares" on it. Yeah, I love saying that to myself. It anytime I get in a spin, anytime I get worried about something, I just go, 
Actually, nobody cares. No, they're thinking <laughs> like about themselves. We're all thinking about ourselves, you know, yeah, nine times yeah, out of ten, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's give it one last spin, okay? Okay, let's do it. There we go. All right. Number 56. Do you have it? No. No worries. Has anyone, like, no one's ever going to win this, Tom. Uh, well, I mean, Come someone's on. got five out of six. Five out of yeah, six? Yeah, okay. India Mullen got five out of six. I think okay. it was in episode number two as well. Oh but you see God. what's happened now is we get into these long chats and I get interested in something you say and I'll ask loads of follow-up questions. Oh God. Next um, time, next time I'm going to give short, sharp <laughs> answers. Okay. Number 56. Um, interesting way to end, especially after Father Danjo. If you were to have a child, would you bring them up with religion? Um. No. Really wouldn't. Definitely. I don't plan on doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry if anyone else thinks that I was going to bring my kids and get them to get in a communion dress. I'm not going to be doing that. Yeah. I'm just not going to be doing it. I um, have no interest in, in, in that. I have interest in empowering them to think for themselves, to have a sense of maybe, yeah, like, uh, like uh, I don't even know if I define myself as agnostic or atheist or whatever. I just really deeply believe in the potential of human beings to do things mm-hmm. for themselves and to like uh, invent, make new inventions and bring us forward in all sorts of different ways. So I suppose I do believe in the human spirit as such, as in like what we can achieve. And um, and I really believe in um, empowering people to to think clearly and feel clearly and and understand who they are on a deep level as they grow older and I think that is for uh, that's a forever journey like that just keeps going and going and going so all I'm interested in is um um enabling my own children to really think for themselves and if they turn around to me and say ma'am I want to I want to be a Muslim I'm like all right well why like tell me why like what what's your thinking behind it you read the Quran and okay yeah and what are you thinking you know I would just listen to them mm. And uh, be open to what they want for themselves. And if they do say, no, I just want to I just want to make my communion because everyone else in school is doing it. And I actually really want to get involved in that. I would just I would just want to know what's in it for them behind it all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I'm basically really open to what my, my, my kids will want for themselves. But like in that sense, that's why I want to want to have like kids that like I will literally just try and empower them to think and feel openly um, and be very present with whatever they're, they're de- with what they're feeling so that they then develop the skills. Basically, I'm totally of the um, same opinion as probably a lot of my my current generation, which is very similar to what um, I suppose Blind Boy is saying as well. And uh, just other people like, I don't know, I love listening to Jared the Regan as well. Mm. And um just lots of yeah, there's lots of female writers and stuff that I've heard in interviews and things. And I'm like, yeah, they're just more into what our kids want for themselves because our generation is having to change so much. There's a lots of stuff that's that's changing at the moment, especially in Ireland. So, yeah, I just think we need to be open to things that are not just based on a fixed religion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I don't know. Is it just a symptom of? getting older or whatever but I even when I'm interacting with my parents now or if I'm thinking back about my childhood like it really is through the lens of like if I was to have kids uh, what would I do and what would I do differently and what like mm-hmm. did they do so well which is the majority of it and like what are some things that like I, I think I would do that a little bit differently mm. you know it's a, it's a really interesting thing because I think I don't know for me certainly you just get that perspective of like like if I like you know, I, I think my parents probably had me when they were in their, like, late 20s, which is, you know, that's only a few years off for me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
oh man if I was to have a kid like you really yeah. are just like doing your best you're making it up you're totally making it up as you go along I mean my parents had me very young right so I feel like I was brought up in a, in a very um, interesting background like I literally grew up in a session house really basically yeah like in, as in like what's that look like uh, what I mean is is that they were in their 20s so they would have like little house parties and we'd be upstairs asleep so, but I was used to sleeping with like music on right. or action around me and I grew up on a council estate and I had it the best childhood ever and I was out running around and playing games and just always oh, really involved in the day with other kids yeah. you know and if I could give anything to my kids actually it would be a bit of that it's like there's a lot of I, I get so upset about the housing crisis because of really strange reasons. I think of it in terms of the childhoods that are being had at the moment mm. and that there's a feeling of like that they're not like just there's, there's a lot of kids that are going, oh, like I'm in this in their perspective. You have to think like they're they're only in the world a few years. So they see the world as like, OK, so I go to school and then mom brings me to a hotel room. We just say in a hotel room because there's no houses, but we had a house, but that's not there anymore. But it's because something to do with the there's not enough houses, but but we're not in a poor country. I don't understand. And like so, so like their their childhood mentality and where they get to play. Like some of them only have a car park to play in, or they're not allowed to play in certain areas of the hotel. But there's all these different things that I think like that depresses me. Not depresses me, but fires me up and makes me go, okay, guys, there's definitely a way we can do all of this better. And if anything, like. That 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 highlights to me the kind of childhood I want my child to have. Like I want them to feel they are allowed to have space in the world to play, mm-hmm. and learn, and grow, and feel the freedom of having and also having connection to other kids from different backgrounds and all sorts. And um, and I think that's really vital. And I think this housing crisis that we're calling it, I'm putting it in inverted commas because I was at a, a panel discussion recently with some art architects and um planning people in Ireland and. It was funny because I was literally thinking the same thing. I was working for Peter McVeary Trust that day. And basically, we have to start thinking about the long term solutions to this now. Like I, I'm like I'm literally I'm going to walk now and, and, and be at the protest, the march that's happening today. And that's fine. And that is necessary to rally and have a rally and cry. But if anything, like last week when I was there building a timber frame house within days with a bunch of people, um, and learning all about passive housing, which is like uh, houses with like n- basically no carbon footprint mm-hmm. and how we can build very cheaply and very easily and very um, quickly. Um, not only can we build amazing houses very cheaply and economically and all that kind of thing and quickly, but they can actually benefit the environment. Like I really want like if anyone is listening to this that could ever like send a message to housing minister Owen it's like can we please use the opportunity when they ev- whenever they finally get it together to build some houses can we use it as an opportunity to do it with environmental like thoughts behind it because I really think like that could be the making of us we could u- we could use this crisis as uh, like as that saying is every crisis is an opportunity mm-hmm. in disguise and I really do think this is an opportunity in disguise because there are actually loads of people in the background that I have met in research for my film um, that have all that, like all the solutions are there. All the solutions are there. Like it's just, there's just this massive, um, it's like a mirage in front of us right now that we think we can't 
sort this out and it's so easy like mm. and I'm on the verge of I'm literally if I had the money I would literally just buy a patch of land somewhere and just start building something like within weeks because I'm just so bored of it like I'm I'm just a bit bored do you know what I mean yeah. I think loads of us are and I think I am tempted as much as you. I literally had a phone call with somebody like last week because I was thinking about moving away. And definitely half the reason I want to move away is because, well, I don't know. I'm just this this buzz of the housing crisis and, and me being an artist and trying to survive here. I'm just kind of like, meh. I'm starting to think about going away again. But I don't want to do that just just out of um, fear or weakness. I mm-hmm. want to make sure I face the issue head on for myself as well. Because um, I do think there's something positive to come of all this. I just, it's a matter of getting all the right people linked together and just talking and then get hold of the, yeah, the land and the buildings that are just sitting there. <laughs> there is my big soap box rant. And I think it's I the perfect just... way to end because it was actually, it was actually... Uh, it was actually very articulate and very, very Thank gorgeous. You. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Claire, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for asking me in. It was great. Uh, thank you for your personality bingo. All right. So, guys, that was the brilliant Claire Dunn playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. Claire, if you are listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a genuine pleasure to sit down and talk to you. Um, guys, as I said, uh, loads of good stuff going on with the podcast. We're going to have brilliant episodes coming up. We're getting very close to episode 100. I don't know what we're on exactly, but, I mean, we are well into the 90s, which is absolutely berserk. Um, but, look, we're going to keep playing them out for you for the time being, and um, please keep enjoying them. If you are enjoying them, as always, please... Please do share it with a friend. Um, give us a tweet. Give us a Facebook message. Whatever it is that you want to do. Um, any way you can get it out there to your mates. It's the best way to do it. Um, people have been real kind about uh, sticking their heads up and letting us know they're listening. Uh, as I said, it always just makes a difference. And it's lovely for the guests to know that, I don't know, they're being listened to and they didn't give up their time for ignoring. Um And there are loads of you out there that listen to this every week. I see ye pop up on my computer screen. So a massive thank you to you for doing that. Um, and as always, a huge thank you to the boss woman, the brilliant Erin Lynn for mixing, editing and producing this podcast to Alan and Paddy for having us aboard the Heads of Podcast Network to the brilliant Connor Dunn for his gorgeous artwork and to the beautiful Leah Moore and Anthony Lanley for their equally beautiful team music Guys, thanks for listening Tune in next week for another episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Moran <laughs>